Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right, so I'm here with Rayford. I've wanted to do this podcast for a while. Um, he's been a, an executive uh, for quite a while, uh, a decade, decades. You've yeah, been an yeah, executive, a couple of decades. Yeah, yeah. He's taken you know many pu- many uh, companies public, um, so I think there's a lot that the audience can learn um, from this gentleman here. Um, Want to learn from you know kind of challenges, uh, you know positive things that have happened. But let's start with with your experience at uh, at Bell South. So this just to let you guys know, he he has a very extensive resume. So we're going to go through this entire story. I'm like, I'm reading this, I'm reading his resume. I'm like, we could make a movie out of this. And, uh, <laughs> and, but I just want to start from the very get go, uh, Bell South mobility. So let's start there and then we'll, we'll progress beyond that. So it's no secret. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. So good old boy makes it out to California kind of thing. Um, so Bell South mobility was the largest phone company, uh, in the South. So when SBC and Bell South merged, they created Singular Wireless. Mm-hmm. And with Singular, I was employee number 231. Oh, wow. So okay. th- that dates me, but yeah. you know, I got in the industry in 1994. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Bell South Mobility, um, it was a corporate job right out of college, selling phones out of my trunk of my Honda Accord. Direct sales. Direct I love sales. It. I Literally, love it. you would pull up to an insurance company or a car dealership or a hair salon and yeah. just whip phones out of my trunk and you know go to go to go to town. And back then, you know, you paid eighty dollars a month for thirty minutes of talk time. Mm-hmm. You'd pay five hundred dollars for your phone. So it's kind of a big sale, right? <laughs> A hard sell. Yeah, hard <laughs> sell. So within three years of that, I was top sales rep, you know, reporting to one of the big guys there and got into major accounts. And uh, I was actually the, one of the first guys who launched a full-blown BlackBerry program, meaning an insurance company, international insurance company, sold them 100 Blackberries for their reps. Mm-hmm. That was in 1999. Right. That's right. before people knew what BlackBerry was. You know? Right. Um, Which I had a BlackBerry too. So yeah, so yeah. you know, here I am, you know, you know, in my early twenties, walking around with a, you know, VCR on my hip, you know, texting like I'm cool, you know. Right. Um, but it was very successful. Uh, you know, a lot of rewards from the company. It's a great company. You know, it 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 turned out that you know they created Singular and now it's AT and T Wireless. Mm-hmm. And I actually still have colleagues that I talk to on a monthly basis at AT and T that I work with back. Well, wow. because AT and T now is a client of mine because I design wireless products for them. Got it. Um, so Bell South, when the merger happened between SBC and Bell South Mobility, it created Singular. 
uh, there was an opportunity for the long timers to take a package and financially retire. Right. Uh, so I had seen a trend of in an, in the U.S. We've got great credit and good income, and all the fresh technology comes to the U.S. Right. So as that you know cascades, other countries are not keeping up to the U.S. So we could take the old phones here, the two-year-old phones here, and put those phones into a country like Chile or Peru, right. Argentina, so forth, and it's a new phone there. Right. So always, you know, entrepreneurial mind. Let me, let me ask you this. Did you always have a, a proclivity towards direct sales? Uh, <laughs> you know, my mom once told me, she's like, you know, you can sell ice to an Eskimo, so... Uh, you know, or, or, or come to a bald guy, or you know, whatever. So <laughs> I guess, you know, I guess it's it's always I've always had the tongue, um, but but I don't like to really talk out of turn. I like to you know be educated and and really know my product and service. So yeah, I mean, I've I've sold my way through a lot of situations. because yeah, it feels like a guy like you, you could probably do anything, like you wanted, and you could probably be. You'd be in direct sales. You'd be a NASA scientist if you wanted to be whatever whatever it is that you wanted to be. You could probably pursue that path. But did you feel like business was always like you had you had it in you that you wanted to do business, or was it something that you were like, I'll try it out, and then you learned that you learned to love it? That's that's actually a great question. So selling, you know, when you, when you're in your twenties, you're you're full of piss and vinegar, and you got all the the, the energy in the world. And the world is, you know, right. is all new. Right. You know? So what I figured out quickly is I wanted some really cool things in life. And in order to do those cool things, it takes a lot of success, not only financially, but also, you know, business success. Right. You just can't walk into the door of, you know, CEO of Fortune 500 company and ask for a purchase order. You know, it's so, really difficult. <laughs> I've tried. Um, <laughs> so one thing that I you might kick it out. I learned early on yeah. is to find the root, meaning if this guy is buying from this guy and this guy buys from this guy and this guy makes it, well, I want to go to the guy who makes it and then find out who's buying it and cut everyone out in the middle. So I've always wow. had that mentality of, because in the middle, I'm not looking to necessarily cut out markup, but cut out the chain of br the breaks in the chain. The inefficiencies, the inefficiencies of the process. Yeah. And the communication. Right. Wow. So, you know, that led my sales career to where I would, you know, I would sell to the accounts that could buy 10 phones, but then I was pursuing the accounts that could buy 100 phones and had the accounts in mind that could buy 1,000. So, so let's, let's go, let, let's talk about that then. How did you find, how are you researching that chain and how are you, uh, you know, going after do you, I don't even know if you want to share this because this might be like a trade secret of yours uh, or something. No, I, I'm actually writing a book, uh, in, in the book's title is going to be called uh, I Need to Get a Check because as an entrepreneur, everyone, every day, I need to get a check. Yeah. <laughs> you always owe everyone, you know. Um, <clears throat> no, the, the, the scenario is I would, you know, at that time in my early 20s, I was working all day, going to school at night. And then when I get home at 11 o'clock, I was researching what I'm doing the next day and the accounts that I'm after. And I would research the accounts and then who their customers are. I'd keep going up that food chain. Mm. And then ultimately, yeah, so 
you know, for instance, you know, I'll never forget this account. And, you know, I, I would love to see Alex Baker one day and, and tell him how much I appreciate his business. But I'd got to a guy called AB Properties. And this particular guy, Alex Baker, he was the developer for all the shopping centers, all the major shopping centers in the U.S., and if you remember back in the early 90s, shopping centers like that was a huge thing. So once I landed this guy, and how I landed this guy is I took his H1 Hummer, installed a special phone system in it to prove him that I had the best service out there and had the, yeah. I was the best guy to do it, and it, it won the deal. Because I've always been a car guy, so he let me drive his Hummer. Um, so at any point, once I landed that account, that was like 2,000 activations. I mean, you're talking wow. back then, that's like a $150,000 commission, you know, wow. for, for a 25 year old for, you know, it's, it was. so, so, okay. So I'm trying to think of the lesson that that's in that. So you, you found out what the guy, what he was interested in and you helped him, you helped service whatever he was interested in. Right. And because of that, he was very receptive to you after that point. Right. Okay. And also I, I had the wits to prove it. You know, I knew what I was talking about. My service was this, my phones were that, and. You know, I pulled it all together as a package. How did that feel when you got that commission, that first commission? It was pretty cool. You know, it it, it bought me a couple of Corvettes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, that's what tends to happen when you're that young and making yep. making that. So, all right, cool. So you sell this big account, and then was that your strategy going forward? Was that like, okay, now I want to sell, just completely just change the game with regards to how everybody else is doing it? And just go after the big accounts and just use that and then repeat that process? Is that how you felt at that point? Um, <clears throat> well, at that point, I, you know, I also wanted to explore, you know, how you can duplicate your time. Okay. You know, because, you know, being, you know, regardless of your financial situation, if you don't have time, you, you're not wealthy. Okay. Right. If you're able to duplicate your time and sustain that, you become wealthy not only financially but also in life. Right. Um, and you're talking about with other, like leveraging other people, you're saying. Correct. Yeah, okay. So what I uh, did is I took the whole central Alabama region and all of the car dealerships in that region, there were 70 of them in that, at that time, they were my accounts. So I, I, I looked into the dealerships and within the dealerships, there's like 30 sales reps per, 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 yeah. uh, per, per dealership. And the average dealership selling around 200 cars a month. Right. So I start doing the numbers and I'm like, if I could get 3% of these guys to give my product and do my service, you know, this would put a deal together. So I advised a sales plan, got them commissions on, on, on referring my service. And then every car it got sold, I got the, the, the information, the, the, the owner's information. They would allow me to send them a letter and offer them a free cell phone. Nice. And it was to the dealership. Yeah. Thank you for buying the car. Da, da, da. Yeah, I've done that too. Yeah. So, you know, that started out first month, you know, I sold 30 phones. Next month, I sold 100 phones. And within a year's time, I was selling 500 phones a month. And personally, all I was doing is... is and you were giving them a commission? Like if course, they... Okay. Course. Was yeah. it a high commission? Was it like attractive to them? 10% of, of my proceeds. Okay. Okay. So, so then immediately I'm like, all right, I just convinced, you know, 600 sales reps to sell my product. And then yeah. I can take my extra time over here and build this business or build this channel or, or pursue this type of customer. 
So, you know, that's the, I'm talking like I was probably 25 years old, you know. Got it. When I got that so, on the market. So let me ask you this. So regarding scaling and, you know, leveraging other people's time, do you recommend going after channel partners or building your own sales staff? Because I've kind of gone the build my own sales staff route. But do you think that's not that's not ideal? Uh, that depends on your product and service. Because, you know, yeah. like, like what I do today, it, it, we just can't even build our own sales channel because everyone is so embedded and ingrained with the relationships and contracts that if we started today, it would take, you know, three or four years just to penetrate into that. So you have to use those the sales teams and the integrated marketing companies and stuff like that with what I do today. But back then, you know, a direct sales team was 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 kind of the thing and, and it was it was it was a lot of fun. Got it. Okay. So let me look at let me look at some other experiences here. Uh the fifty thousand experiences that you have here. Um okay, so after that, then where did you progress after that? Yeah, so that that's actually the story that really you know, kicked my entrepreneurship off is when, <clears throat> so when Bell South and SBC merged and created Singular, I took a package and with the used phones cascading and being able to put that into other countries, I bought the website, we buy you cell phones.com. So we're talking 1999. Yeah. So I was when like in the dot, right before the dot com. Right. Boom. Yeah. So, I mean, that website alone, I was just getting millions of hits, you know, as the years progressed. Did you see, like, yourself, like, the, one of the reasons you were successful is because you were able to see trends? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So let's, 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 yeah, move. yeah, no, we'll, we'll talk trend, about that in a second. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's absolutely one of the ways I have succeeded in all areas of my life is <clears throat> so, yeah, that trend with the c- cascading technology put me into the, you know, the used cell phone business. And so what that means is, you know, today, you know, people think it's quite normal to walk into a Verizon store, an AT&T store, and trade in your old phone, get a credit towards it, and get a new phone. Now that old phone will go to a third-party facility where it'll be triaged to see what's wrong with it. Then it will go to a repair facility to fix it. They will kit it back up, and then it will be put back in circulation for another life, you know, because the person that bought the new phone paid $1,000 for the iPhone, you know, newest model. And then you can buy it used for, say, 500 So then it goes to its second second life. Well, today, that is millions and millions and millions of phones a month. Well, back in 1999, that was completely unheard of. No one had ever seen that. Um, so when I first got started and I closed my first deal doing the trade-in programs for carriers, I hung up the phone. I was sitting in an office, and I'm like, I did a calculation. I'm like, that's three tractor trailer loads of phones. Where the hell am I going to put it? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we literally had three tractor trailer loads of some phones coming our way in 10 days. And, you know, my warehouse was, you know, literally the size of my basement. So <laughs> Did you have a manager that you were working for at the time that was like, what the hell? Did you no, 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 no. This, I, I was on my own. This, you're, this is on your own. Yeah, so you were like, mad at yourself yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I called my buddy that owns a bunch of warehouses. I'm like, hey, uh, I need to borrow your warehouse. You know, that's, that's John Davis. I got to give him a plug. Um, so <laughs> the tractor trailer load pulled up. We unloaded everything, and we processed those phones within – say four days and within four days i had all those the the good phones sold and the bad phones sold to someone else and i basically it all went out my door and i profited like a half a million dollars 
you know, it's oh, just shit. one deal, one load, one pop. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I got a business, you know? So that's when I incorporated, a, I called the company Handoff Wireless. Handoff Wireless. That's where you got to 100 employees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. so Handoff, there, there was two, two, two reasons I did that. Handoff is, you know, I literally hand you off my problem. Yeah. You know, as a, as, like a, as, a, as a used phone going somewhere else, that's a, that's a, it has to be disposed of properly. You can't just throw this in the, right. in the, in the there's some really bad things in the phones that we don't want in the, in the, in the environment. So with handoff, it's like, hey, I'll take care of this properly. Right. The other is obviously in the cellular world is when you're talking and driving, you hand off the cell, the call to tower to tower to tower as you go right. down the road, you know. Got it. So that's where Handoff came from. So Handoff Wireless uh, was incorporated in 2001. and uh, 19 years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seriously, started in the basement of my house. And, um, you know, within four years of operating that company, we built a brand-new 50,000-square-foot facility uh, on 11 acres of land. I could literally back up 19 tractor trailers to my, my dock doors. Um, so what was pretty cool about that is even inside, I designed the workflow of how the phones would flow through. It would be triaged and go to different channels and different departments and actually would go on the weekends and help build the desk, you know, because I had a vision of how those desks should be built to be more productive. And of course, back then there was no such thing as Ikea. Was it, was it an easy transition to go from, <laughs> was it easy transition to go from like direct sales to like, now you have to build systems to, to make this all work for your company? <clears throat> um, the short answer to that is no, because it's a different, completely different skill set. Now, I have been very fortunate in my life to have a lot of good mentors. And even today, I have a, a CEO coach and I have mentors in a couple of different areas of my life. I saw but that, yeah. Back then, uh, you know, I had a very good mentor and um, you know, he was a super successful guy uh, in every category of his life, you know, family, financially, religious, so forth. Uh, and I would just go talk to him about my problems. And mm. he would say, hey, do this, hey, do this, talk to this person. And, you know, within a two-year period of time, I had board of directors, you know, on my staff. And we're, we're including vice presidents of banks, vice presidents of, you know, construction companies and yeah. people. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, because what I was doing in my city then just was not being done anywhere in the world. Right. Because uh, ultimately, I was recycling. You mm -hmm. know, I was doing the right thing for the environment. But, you know, it was I was recycling the stuff that we had to scrap. But 90% of it I could resell, you know. Did you have that purpose in mind, like initially too? Or was it just something you just later uh, on learned, oh, this, I'm helping the yeah, environment? Yeah, no, that, that is a great question. Uh, once I, like, understood uh, in, in, our, in our cell phone world, it's called a BOM, B-O-M, Build of Materials. And once I understood the build of materials of a phone and understand the chemistry makeup and what's actually in the phones, right. and then what it can do to the environment. I knew from my heart, it's like, eh, I need to do something about that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because it's it's, you know, you're talking some, you know, back then some pretty shitty stuff like beryllium. I mean, this is right. stuff that you just you don't want to breathe. You know, if the phone is incinerated, you breathe the beryllium, it's just going to scar your lungs. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just gnarly stuff. Yeah. Um, so as I educated myself in that, then I got to more involved. Then, of course, I went to the top of the food chain in the recycling industry, and I went to where they smelter down the batteries. Right. Because back then, you had nickel metal hydride and NICAD 
technology. Mm-hmm. You don't have the lithium polymer you have today, you know. Um, and it was just really nasty. It was nasty stuff. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to do my part to get that out of the environment. So, yeah, I mean, that, that you know, we, we bid a couple of times at the EPA for the, for the you know, take care of this for the government. Uh, not necessarily a government guy, but uh, it, was, it was a good learning process. So, yeah, we took that company. Uh, we had two locations, ultimately, got up to about 100 employees, uh, somewhere around $28 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not 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 uh, not shabby for you know I was still uh, under thirty you know under thirty yeah I okay was, I was twenty eight you know and uh, <clears throat> you know I guess uh, you know my other facility was in uh, Jackson Mississippi which is you know it's about a four hour drive from Birmingham Alabama so one of my board members and investors at the time also owned some airplanes mm-hmm. so uh, I I bought into a, a twin engine Piper and. Um, and, and could be at my repair facility in, in 40 minutes, which ultimately helped us land deals with Motorola, LG, uh, AudioVox, um, and later on Samsung to become an authorized re- repair for center for those guys. Um, so, wow, yeah, you know, it was, it was you know, a lot, a lot of fun, you know. So you said it, it didn't come naturally, the, building those systems, right? And there's no way Motorola is going to work with you if you don't have those systems. So... So like, how did you, what was, how did you go, okay, I, how do I build this, these systems? How do you learn that, that skill? Well, it, it, yeah, so <clears throat> I'm really good at knowing what I know and knowing what I don't know. Right. Um, so I was very fortunate to, I was able to craft a business plan and then uh, cast a team to go and put that business plan together. So e- even, even in the early days, I looked at myself, not as a, a boss or not as a CEO or not as whatever, I look at myself as a head coach. You know, I'm coaching a team. Which is the boss you want. Yeah. You don't want a boss that's like, do what I say yeah. and isn't doing it like themselves, you know? So, you know, here I am. I was literally 28 years old and my COO was 55, you know? And wow. And this guy's, Holy you shit. know, he, I mean, he could walk in like a general with stars and he show all the pedigree and the the spreadsheets and, you know, all the stuff that you just can't possibly know at 28 years old, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was my CEO. Was it, was it hard to, to get that guy to trust you or, uh, like, to listen to you all that much? Because, like, you're, you're a young guy, right? And he's looking at you like, come on, man, I've, I'm, like, twice as old as you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think what it was is, the, you know, what the trajectory of what we were doing was just massive. We're talking about the 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 – the beginnings of a multi multi billion dollar opportunity, um, recycling yeah. cell phones. So when I did the research and I put the business plan together, it attracted a lot of people. I mean, I had investors. You know, I wow. I raised more than six million dollars with that. Wow. Um, outside money, mm-hmm. plus my family money. Um, <clears throat> so you know, it, it it attracted a lot of the right people because we had the right plan and we had the right trajectory. It wasn't like a startup high in the sky or woulda, coulda, shoulda, would it work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so moving past that experience, so just, just, to, just to clarify, you were able to gain your board's respect at a 28, at 28. Yes. You were able to do that. Yes. Even the guy that was like, had the general type experience and, he, you know, he comes in and is like, you know, young lad, let me tell you a few things, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, at one point, my board of directors, uh, 
you know, back in Alabama in, in that day, a large bank was called SunTrust. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sorry, South Trust. And um, the VP of that bank was on my board. He actually invested in my company. And then he brought a guy from Caterpillar, mm-hmm. the, the diesel yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. He was a big yeah. vice president of Caterpillar. My other uh, board member was a one of the most renowned doctors in the area. Mm-hmm. And then I had myself, uh, my business partner, which at that, you know, is my best friend, and and then I had my CEO. Mm-hmm. And so with us in the room, there was almost nothing that we couldn't what, accomplish. What do you think attracted them to you? Why why were they so attracted to this twenty eight year old, you know, young kid that you know probably some of these guys had kids or had children that were that age, right? O- older, older, yeah. So. And so how did you, how were you able to attract these guys? How were you able to get them to go, yeah, this is the guy I want to, I want to back. I want to, it's like, it's like a life decision. Like yeah. you're going to be working with this guy for a long time and you're 28 and they have kids that are probably less responsible than you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, I'm about to work for my, with my son for my son. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it was, it was really the business plan that we put together based on the, the market we were entering. I mean, it's just a massive, massive marketing. If you could just capture 1%, yeah. you're uber successful. Well, yeah, but you hear these things on like Shark Tank and things like that. Oh, yeah, if we, if we uh, you know, capture 1% of the market, we'll make $100 million or whatever the case may be. And that's always the thing they say. Oh, this is, that's dumb. For We've heard that many times, right? So there's an element of like they had to trust you to, to a, a level where they were like, okay, I'm going to invest a lot of my time, a lot of my energy, a lot of my money. And I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit. What, what exactly, like, just so we can teach people listening to this podcast, what exactly attracted them to you? Uh, you know, a lot of people just don't want to hear it and don't want to admit it, but, uh, it's, it's results. It's just flat out POs, results, cash in hand, success in the palm of your hand. And I'll give you an example. Um, so back then, uh, there was a, a, a carrier called Altel. Mm-hmm. And uh, Altel was out of. Uh, I remember them. Yeah, yeah, they're out of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. And at that time, they were bought by Verizon. So at that time, they had probably three million subscribers, and they literally did not have a trade-in program, meaning they didn't care. They didn't even know what to do with used phones that are out there. And then two years later, they're going to come back and want new phones. Well, yeah. what do you do with the old phones? Well, mm-hmm. you keep it. Right. So we went into that company, my, my, myself and my management team, and, and taught them how we could do this program for them. And they're like, we'll give you a try. <laughs> they flew their, their top guy out to review our, our facility. And, you know, at that time I, you know, I had a, I don't know, like 5,000 square feet, a little just side warehouse deal. Didn't even have a kitchen. My kitchen was like, it was a sink over here, and the back yeah. door opened up to a grill. Yeah. And I mean, it was really primitive. But um, <laughs> you know, our process. Let me see a picture there. of that if you have one. Oh, I have it. You know, so <clears throat> um, even my mom would come and clean the the warehouse uh, once a week for us. So it was awesome. Um, so he came there. He he reviewed the processes, and he's like, "Dude, this I'll sign off on this. It looks like you guys know what you're doing." So first month, you know, they shipped us, you know, maybe 5,000 phones. Mm-hmm. And we took those 5,000 phones and returned back to them 4,000 phones that they could resell. Mm. 
and it's and it's and it's their cost of goods is zero because they already they already capitalized that right. cost. So for right. them, it's it's you know uh, you know they've never seen this revenue. Right. So the next month we got eight thousand phones. Wow. So as the story goes, within twelve months we were processing around thirty thousand phones a month for those guys. And just to give you a, a, a financial thing, you're you're talking about profit on our side, maybe twenty bucks a phone. Mm-hmm. So it was it was quite it was a cash cow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally a cash cow. Yeah. Um, so that was Altel. So then we did the same thing with U.S. Cellular, which is still in business now. They're out of Chicago. Uh, then we went into the Carolinas. There was a couple of carriers in the Carolinas and did the same thing. Then we landed uh, the company in Jackson, Mississippi, which is why we moved there, C-Spire. Uh, back then, it was called Sailor South. And these guys, we got their entire program to repair, refurbish, remodel, and do the logistics back and forth to all their stores. Hmm. So Wow. So it was just... Yeah. We got all that within 12 months. So they were doing the logistics... Themselves. Themselves. They, you were building out the systems. And then we took it all over. And then you took it all over. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Sorry. So, you, know, Sorry. <laughs> you know, revenue went from, you know, you know, say, you know, 2002 to when we went into 2003, revenue went from probably, you know, 12 million to, to, to 25 million. In one uh-huh. So, I mean, you know, when you got results like that in, in the customer and you see the orders and you see the contracts, people are like, okay, well, this guy's got something. Right. So, I mean, they continue to back me. Wow. Okay. So you took that company public hands off? No, 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 no. We, 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 we did a misstep with that. Uh, we didn't see that we had created something so big that really big companies got uh, like, like FedEx and mm-hmm. XPO, these guys, mm-hmm. um, they took interest in it. And when they took interest in it, they came in with their PIP team, process improvement teams and kind of like corporate it up and went to the CFO of those companies and convinced those companies, hey, we need to do this for you. Don't let these small guys do it for you. So I got I got <clears throat> notification uh, two weeks before the RFP was due. And, um, and the RFP, the, the, the minimum revenue to participate in the RFP was $50 million per year. So the RFP was written by the PIP team guys purposely to cut out the small guys. Mm. So when we saw the writing on the wall for this, we're like, all right, we've got to grow really fast and really scale. Our, you know, this is about to be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did at that point is we, we made a deal with the board and we made a deal with a company out of Orlando, Florida to do some, uh, some, some equity swap. And mm-hmm. uh, basically... We went from handoff over to Quality One and brought the this type of business to Quality One because they were a wholesaler, right? And I was more of a service provider, and right. And so you guys merged, okay? We merged. So that was uh, that would have been two thousand uh, two thousand six, yeah. mm-hmm. and so that's how you were able to prevent your competition. Well, yeah, because you know it it you know at Quality One, you know we were able to scale that very fast and you know within one year we added uh, I added a hundred million to the top line wow uh, so that was a hundred million on top of his current revenue right so because he had the facilities he had 
much bigger credit lines. He had more avenues to sell the scrap stuff that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a good merger. Okay. All right. So, all right. So you merge, you merged at that point. And then was there a point that you exited that or did you, um, yeah, yeah, exited, uh, as, as gracefully as I could. Um, uh, they probably it, wanted to hold on to you maybe thinking, yeah, because or was it, there a, yeah, you know, it, it was as graceful as I could make it, but you know, you, you got to understand that you ride the gravy train long enough, you know, it, Sometimes the the music stops, you know. So you gotta you might you gotta make some quick moves, and you know I merged with the company and made a deal with the investors, and everyone you know was happy. So okay, was there ever a point in time? So this this story is like really rosy at this point, right? Because you're like, okay, I have all these guys, board directors, that you know partner with me, and then I merged with another company, and we took it, we increased the revenue and scaled fast. Um, was there ever a time that you were like, man, this is really tough? This was there ever a tough circumstance in that process that you, that you know made you potentially want to quit? Uh, <clears throat> um, well, you know, initially I thought I was going to be able to run my division of the company in Orlando out of Alabama, mm-hmm. and that quickly became apparent that we couldn't because they they just didn't have the the process and procedures. Uh, in some leadership to to scale up, you know, to up to up the company. So, you know, I had to make a life decision uh, to move from Birmingham uh, to Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, you know, that's a, that's a good move. Well, you know, in in some cases it could be, but you know, my my, I just you know my time in Orlando, I just didn't enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. I just didn't enjoy the weather. I didn't enjoy the insects. I didn't enjoy the the climate. You know, so yeah, Florida was. I spent a lot of time on the beaches. It was fun, but uh, <laughs> I just I was there for working, dude. I worked honestly seven days a week. Okay, wow, seven days a week. Okay, yep. did you ever work less than seven days a week ever in your life? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I mean, now it's more like you have yeah. it's lifestyle more. Yeah. Now yeah. is a now is a different deal. You know, my thing now is I'm going to work hard and I'm going to play hard. You know, and I and, and honestly. For many years now, I've I've probably played as hard as I've I've worked. So <laughs> I'm very fortunate. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. So uh, okay. So after you exited this company, uh, then you move on. What was the next uh, endeavor that you pursued at that point? Uh, so <clears throat> so quality one was in Orlando. So okay. That was a three year stint. Okay. So uh, quality one was okay three year. Yeah. Okay. It was three years and a lot of fun. You know those, those guys. You know John. I will ever forever be thankful for him. It's a plug for him. Um, you know, he 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 was he was a CEO, and you know he, you know he ran things a little different. Um, meaning he's a very hard charger. You know, where I'm a little more reserved and methodical, and I like to, you know, yeah, I like to win the chess game and not get you know ran over doing it. You know, so um, which so, is a smart move. Were you always like that, like more methodical? Well, you know, the, the whole losing the all-tail contract taught me a lot. Dude. Yeah. Because, you know, one day, you know, I'm driving around my Porsche and my Hummer and riding my airplane, and the next day, I, you know, I, I can't pay my taxes. So it's like, whoa. So you, you learn to, yeah. to, to, you know, you learn to look around the corner. You right. You learn to look what's coming, you know. So it, it taught me a lot. So, you know, I learned that lesson, and, and, and I, you know, live by that today. Um, so Orlando was awesome as far as working and building the stage to the next platform because sure. that's 
that's what led me to doing what I'm really doing today. Because in Orlando, I was able to scale that. We took it up a little over 200 million in revenue, and it was really as high as I could push it with used product. Now, keep in mind what I had built after I left Bell South was all based on used product. Mm-hmm. Used product is always based on the, the, the amount of the supply you can get. Right. And then how fast you can fix it and the parts you get. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't always have a 100% workable phone. I mean, sometimes right. you have a 5 to 10% return rate. So that business is very hard to scale above $200 million. So I convinced the partners there. I was like, hey, we've got the sales channels. We've got the distribution channels. We need new product mm. to put into these distribution channels. And uh, you just weren't happy with the well, incumbent wanted, product. Well, no, I wanted to, to. I've got the distribution channels. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll buy new phones. So yeah, okay, gotcha. The so the incumbent uh, phones were being sold already, but you said that, you know ten percent would be returned. Right. So that's, that's what that's phones. where I got. Yeah. So I, th- that's why I was getting the thought. So then you started thinking about other products too. I, I want to put other products on those distribution channels. Yeah. So it was more so because you wanted to sell more phones, of course, as, as opposed to you want to replace the old phones that were being sold. Right. I okay. wanted to okay. expand my, my my product line. Okay. So in order to expand that product line at that time, so we're talking in the mid two thousands, so we're mm-hmm. talking two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Every uh, manufacturer was transferring their manufacturing. Uh, of the OEMs, you know, like Nokia, Qualcomm, yeah. you know, LG, those guys, all the manufacturing was going to China. So, you know, good old boy from Alabama, I'd never been to China. So mm-hmm. I uh, took off to China with a couple of guys I knew to look at a couple of factories and that were making the products that we could look at, you know, mm-hmm. brands that we'd never seen in the U.S. And uh, I ended up living in, in, in Hong Kong and China for, for, for months because I had to go to factory to factory to factory to find the right guys to do business with. Right. And uh, one of those was uh, Alcatel, and, uh, which is a French brand, but the Chinese, a Chinese company by the name of TCL had purchased the Alcatel line in, uh, in France and merged the teams together. So you got European design phones mm-hmm. being manufactured at the ec- Chinese economics. So... So, it was so a, it's another challenge to presented. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. But I looked at this as like, hey, I've got a European design phone, which, you know, Americans yeah. back then loved, and I'm manufacturing it in Chinese economics. So my yeah. profit margin could it's be like huge. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. <clears throat> and, but so your first experience in going to China, was it like weird for you? Like, how, what was your experience like? Well, I was with some good guys that, that, that kind of, you know, the wealthy guys that, you know, that was in the upper echelon of, of the society there. So I didn't have to deal with a lot of the, you know, like real issues. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we had, you know, people drive us everywhere. We had security people, you know, it was just kind of catered for us, you mm-hmm. know. Were you one of the first guys, because you, you seem to follow trends, were you one of the first guys to go, we need to be in China? Absolutely. You, you know, were? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and which, which, you know, today... I am one of the only white guys that's in the clubs that I'm in in China with, you know. I, I know about the Chi- Chinese businessmen. I know about that. Yeah. Like it takes decades to, to get, get into in. that club. No, I, I can, so, I've sat at, at dinner and there was six billionaires at my table. 
So not not billionaire in, in Chinese money, billionaire in U.S. So I've, I've established myself there, and I know Shanghai, China, and Hong Kong, China better, better than I know L.A. First Chinese businessman I talked to, he was like, let me teach you some, some, some things. He's like, do you know that China, they have like malls that are completely empty? It's like a ghost town. And he's like, this because the Chinese have a long-term vision for things as opposed to like a short-term like American view of things. So that's what he's like. He's like, if you want to do business in China, it's going to take decades, right? And so, yeah, so I, I don't take that lightly when I hear that. So you were sitting, okay, so you were sitting with this group of billionaires. Oh, no, that's today. Oh, um, so, okay. But back then, <clears throat> this is, you know, when I was bringing Alcatel in the U.S. Sure. So what I fell in love with Alcatel is they actually, they were the owner of the factory. Right. Know, they didn't subcontract out with another factory. It was their engineers working on their products. And it was all heart. The mm-hmm. company was just all heart in little direction. So I put... I, so they I, were trying to run through brick walls all they, the time. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. they weren't selling in the U.S. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. So I put a plan together. I went to you know my partners and they pulled in some financial people and pulled in a couple of other guys. And, you know, it, it was around 12 people. You know, I mean, I, I didn't do this by myself. I was, I was the, 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 the ringleader but I put a lot of people together, and we ultimately raised like 50 million bucks. Now, 50 million bucks, we, the company out of Orlando became the exclusive distributor to bring it into the U.S. So that lasted two years, and then the company looked, came to me myself, and they're like, hey, we want to bring you on for you to head up because we want to come in as a company direct to the consumers. Okay. Okay. And so I had basically, you know, kind of learned my worth and stuff like that. And I was like, well, actually, you know, you, you, you can't hire me as an employee, but you can hire yeah. my company. Mm-hmm. So they actually contracted with my company, guaranteed. Did they try to hire you as an employee? Uh, of course, of course. But what, did they, what was their offer? Do you mind me? Well, you can't mention that? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Okay, okay. It's, it's lucrative, you know. So, I mean, I mean, it was. But you're like, no, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, no, you're so, never going to buy me, yeah, pretty much. So, okay. So gotcha. here's what we did is we put a contract together and they 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 employed or they contracted my company. I hired the team. Hmm. So I would build them payroll, they would pay me, I'd pay my team. And um, so we did that all the way up to probably 10 employees. Mm-hmm. So let's say ground zero was I moved to to Irvine, California in 2008, November of 2008. Oh, okay. And during the crash, yeah, okay, <laughs> lost my ass in my house in Florida, <laughs> um, but gained it back here in Cali. Um, <clears throat> so from from 2009, that so was you know, cause yeah. you, you know, we didn't really get started in 08 at the end, but from 2009 to 2012, mm-hmm. those three years, we were able to go from zero revenue, absolutely zero, with a brand that the U.S. has not heard of. We finished 2012, 276 million dollar top line, 70 million dollar EBITDA. Three years. Um, so I feel like, man, I need to catch up. No, I need no, it at no. some point. No, that, you always say that. I, I, it was a no, lot. No, no, but but no, but so okay. So that's crazy. That was a lot. Uh, but you 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 were, you had a lot of experience at that point, and you were focusing on trends. And do you feel? This is how I feel, but most most companies don't look at trends. 
They're like, they have these executives that are just kind of, they're happy where they are, they're complacent, and they don't like put a focus on trends uh, very often. And that's be, and so that's like for guys like you, it's beneficial to guys like you because you can capitalize on on their lack of focus or their lack of even the ability to focus on trends. Like, no, no you, you, you know, Frank, you're hitting on something that's 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 actually was was probably the biggest driver of the success. And the you know, you know, yeah. Alcatel went on. We went over a, a billion in revenue in 2015, but the trend was. <clears throat> You know, as as you know, I've been in this industry since 1994, and in 2007, when the the rumbles of Apple bringing a phone to the market, even executives like myself, I feel like this is going to be like a three hour podcast. <laughs> executives like myself, we dismissed Apple. We're like, right. there's no way these guys can make something and be competitive. Well, you know, the iPhone launched in 07, and I don't know if you read Steve's book by Walter Isison, but it's absolutely amazing book but even on steve's accounts it was more successful than ever anticipated so by the end of 2008 all of the big oems are talking samsung nokia blackberry Uh all lg all those guys were chasing an iphone killer which is considered in our world a super phone i always wondered i was like why is iphone you know, why, why did iPhone at some point catch up, like just go blast past everyone? I can tell you all about that in another podcast, yeah. but it, it's, it's, they did. And they're so far ahead now. But anyways, when all of my competition, other OEMs, right. started chasing those super phones, and in, in to put it in like the car world, they were chasing Porsches. Mm-hmm. And so people are still going to buy Camrys. Right. Okay, there's no yeah. Camry sold and there's Porsche sold. Yeah. Okay. And in 2007, a lot of people were not, you know, ready to ante up 600 bucks for a phone, you know? Right. So we, I looked at this trend and I exploited the trend of low cost phones. We're talking under $100, mm-hmm. under 100 US dollars. Right. So we became, uh, by 2013, we were number four in volume in the US OEM. We were shipping a million phones a month. All low cost, all hundred dollar prepaid or burner phones. Wow. Yeah. So we focused there and just became the go to guy. I mean, you could walk into more than two hundred and fifty thousand doors of distribution and buy an Alcatel phone. You could buy it at CVS, at Walgreens, at Best Buy, at Kmart, Walmart, Target, the Circle K's, the Seven Elevens, Kroger's. I wow. Mean, yeah. So you know, we got those phones in every hole. Uh, so that's the ultimate trend that we captured on, and that's all we focused on. Mm. We, we, we just we didn't go you know, eight feet wide. We went here and drove deep and sold those phones in every channel that, that could consume that under $100 phone. So what I find with a lot of companies, a lot of CEOs, is they, they become really romantic about their idea of what will work. Right. And so that's sometimes also what helps them, makes them miss trends. Do you feel like you have an ability to not be romantic about anything and just figure out where the need is? Because, like, the way you said it, the OEM companies were, were trying to get the Porsches of cell phones, right? And I feel like they were romantic about taking out Apple, right? 
they were romantic about that, but they could have sold the, the cheaper phones. Yeah. No, you know, no, no. I, I, <clears throat> I know for a fact that, you know, I, you know, me and my team help, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the fall of Motorola. Uh, we help put a lot of our competition out of business. We, we just took their business. You know, I mean, I was sitting here because uh, Alcatel, we had built up, we had 280 employees here in Irvine. Uh, so we were sitting right here. We were commanding, you know, we were the number four OEM in the U.S. during those years. Right. Uh, you know, we were we were outpacing LG. We were outpacing, I mean, we were on the heels of mm-hmm. the big guys, and they knew we were coming. Um, so that's, you know, when we took that company public, that's, you know, we, it was a 5X. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. You know? Do you have a time limit on this, or? Um, uh, I need to four thirty ish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No worries. All right. Cool. All right. All right. So continue. Continue on. All right. Um, it's well, really well, interesting. Well, I want to circle back on something you said and just just point out that uh, you know, a lot of companies they want to get romantic with an ideal. Okay? Yeah. So. While true, okay, and a lot of entrepreneurs are born by the passion of making something right because it doesn't exist. Right. Uh, what I have done in my life, and, and I still do this to today, is, you know, I read at least, you know, 12 books a year. And I just finished reading Elon Musk's book. What an amazing, I'm really so proud of him just, just to be a human. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, he's done some really cool stuff. But I read a lot of books and I understand what has worked and what hasn't worked in the past. You know, mm. just because I don't know it doesn't mean it's not out there. Okay. And, you know, I've been and always ran my life is you don't know what you don't know. Right. And it's kind of right. your responsibility. You know, if you're going to step in front and be the leader, you, you know, mm. you need to. I devote a certain amount of my time for research and development every day. Sure. Um, so we understood at a fundamental level the mistakes that Nokia was making, the mistakes that LG was making, the mistakes that HTC was making. Why do you think they continue to make those mistakes? Like They were romancing. They were romancing. They wanted that perfect phone. They wanted that beautiful phone. They wanted Yeah, it seems like you were neutral. You were just like, what do people want? I, I, I was succeeding. You know, I was, I was the one, you know, putting the POs on the board and, you yeah. know, the, the money in the bank. And, you know, we were renting the market share. Wow. So, I mean, you know, and you just got to know your place, you know, if you, if you, you know, it's like water, water will always find this level, mm-hmm. know your place and, 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 and dig in and protect it. And we did, we dug in and protect it. Interesting. Okay. And then, so this is awesome. Uh, and I want to touch on, on my thoughts on whether this was something that just came naturally to you. It seems like you could have done anything. That's that's my impression of you. Um, I like to consider myself, you know, a good reader of people, and it seems like you could have taken this anywhere you wanted. Use your skill set for this, um, and it seems like, I mean, early on you were seeing successes. So, like, do you feel like this is accessible? Because you seem like a very smart guy too. Like, does, is this accessible to everyone to achieve this level of success? Um, and it, what, why, aren't, why aren't they if they, if they haven't? I mean, that's, you know, that's obviously that's a very loaded statement and question. Um, 
You, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I graduated high school uh, class president and uh, voted most likely to succeed. And you know, I was, you know, I was 18. So, you know, I've I've always had a drive and I've always, I, I've, you know, it's like when I close my eyes, I, I just don't, it, it doesn't stop. I, I, I keep dreaming of how I can do this better or make this product better or this service better or how I can make a better impact on the world. Right. And in many different areas. I mean, I just, cho- I'm in, you know, the wireless space right now because I just, I really love what I do. I love inventing what we're going to use in the mm-hmm. future. You know, stuff I've, I'm working on today, you know, the public won't see until 2022. You know, but I know they're going to need it in 2022. That's why I'm working on it now. So it's I love what I do, which is going to make you win even more because you saw you're following the trends and yeah. But I mean, you know what what made me you know, you know early on you know it was just I I had a passion and a desire and I knew you know that I was going to make you know a name for myself and a name for my family and and find all the success in the world that I could find. I think it's important that you share your story um, because then you, you, you like you tell people what you were doing to achieve this level of success. And I think people that don't think they can, maybe they have a roadmap, you know, maybe they're like, you know, because there's a lot of people out there, too, that they have jobs that they hate, like 70, 80 percent of people hate their jobs. You know, I think it's it might be even higher than that. Um, and sometimes people feel like they have no choice. Right. They have no other option. That's why I hate the the concept that entrepreneurship is a born trait because then you're leaving out all these people that don't hate their job and feel like there's no way out, right? And it's like you're spending like 70, like 70% of your life at your job, you know, and there's no way out. So like, do you feel like you, this is a lot of responsibility in your shoulders, but do you feel like you could provide a roadmap for other people that like shows them, hey, this is what you can do because you you've been on both sides. You've been on the the executive side, right? You know, managing a big team, entrepreneur side. You've like you know, gone through every level of this. Do you feel like there's a way out for people? Yeah. I mean, I I you know, I want to give back. I want to be able to be in a position to where you know, take someone in their 20s and you know, teach them a couple of lessons so that they don't go through the trials and tribulations that I went through, you know. Um and, and it's not to say that, you know, even, you know, and I was, I was, you know, I, I grew up, a, you know, a poor guy from Alabama. And, you know, my, my first, uh, you know, my first real job was I was a stockman at Walmart, mm-hmm. you know, at our local Walmart. I was, you know, I was the guy that went to the, to the parking lot and pulled in the, the carts that right. you know, people discarded outside and clean up the bathrooms and yeah, yeah. You know, took out the trash and all that. I mean, I was 16 years old and. And even at then, I mean, I just did the best I could possibly do. Got noticed by the managers and right. got a promotion and got a promotion and got a promotion. Uh, but I would, I would honestly say one of the biggest things that even helps me till today, that even helped me really kick off who I really became, is, is it's really the influence. It's the mentors, it's the mentors. and the people yeah. that you allow into your inner circle and that you – you know, that you, that you look to, or you mentor with, or you aspire with. Yeah. So for me, man, it's, it's been a journey. Uh, it's, it's been tough. I've gone through a lot of personal things, business things. And what I notice is like, you know, you notice the people that are there for you during the hardest times. Right. And like, 
but and you always, you know, people sometimes extend an olive branch in a high place that you would have never expected, right? You know, one of those guys for me was like David Meltzer. You know, I don't know if you know David Meltzer. I've heard the name. I've heard the name. Yeah, he's like, he doesn't know me from Adam. He's like, yeah, you can interview me for a podcast. This guy's getting hit up like thousands of times. I don't know why he said yes to me. Maybe he's just persistent as hell. Um, But there's always people that, you know, give you a little bit of an olive branch. And then you see like some people that haven't really made it as much and they like push you down. It's almost, they almost push you down. Um, was there people in your life that extended that olive branch that you were like, there's no way this guy's going to give me a chance or this person's going to be, or this girl's going to give me a chance. And they did. And they extended that olive branch. And they're like, let me show you the way. Absolutely. You know, I mean, that's, that's in, in, in that you kind of, I mean, that's an earned position. You got to earn someone's trust. You got to earn someone's respect. And, you know, and, you know, you just, that, that's just, that's basics. So, you know, I, you know, earned this guy's respect. I earned his, his trust. And he, he extended a, extended a hand and he ultimately became one of my greatest mentors, you know, for the better part of 15 years. Mm -hmm. You attribute most of your success to the fact that you had great mentors. I do. I do. And, and good influence, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the ones that, cause we always, we all have those friends that you look at and you're like, all right, you know, I, I can't be those guys. And then you have those guys who's like, I can't be those guys, you know? <laughs> and then you have the guys that's like, you love to hang out with because you just, she just could be normal and yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a group of people that you look at and you're like, man, they're, they're these guys and gals are doing something, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's philanthropy or whether it's, you know, whatever it is. They're doing something. They're do. They've got an energy. They've got something I want to understand. Okay. So I'll tell you a quick story, and and it goes back to my uh, the the car dealership days. So when I got those car salesmen basically selling my phones for me. Yeah, and they were earning ten percent. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. There was one particular guy. I'll give Jeff Jones a plug anytime. This particular guy. He was a car sales guy, mm-hmm. okay? And no disrespect because, you know, I, I have a car industry business and, you know, I sell cars, so I'm a car salesman too. So, But he was, a, he was a professional car sales guy. He had three assistants. This guy worked at the largest Ford dealership in our city, Longlose mm-hmm. Ford. And him himself alone was selling 100 cars a month. He was Jeez. selling 100 cars a month. Wow. So... People would talk about this guy, yeah. and and I'd see him, and like you, you, I'd come into the dealership, and it was always like a Thursday, you know, eleven o'clock or something. And I'd bring lunch or something, and he was super busy. You just want his time, just like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So I got in with one of his his assistants, and I was like, hey, I want a meeting with Jeff. Yeah, I want a lunch. Was he doing channel partners like channel partner stuff? That's why he was selling so many cars. No, I wanted to find out. So yeah. So it took me like three months, and I finally got to, uh, to to the lunch with this guy. And I sat down at lunch, and I'm like, you know, Jeff, you just, dude, you're just through your networks alone, you're selling 20 phones a month for me, and that's X amount of revenue. Thank you so much. Here's a bonus. Take, you know, here's a gift card. Take By the way. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how how do you do what you do? Right. You know, how are you? There is no, and I told him, I cover 70 car dealerships. I know all the sales guys in every car dealership, and there is no, there is no. What was the second guy? The second guy. How much? How many cars were you, the second oh, guy that was selling? Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Okay. We're talking three X. Okay. So, know? 
So and so Jeff, you know, he started talking and he gave me his whole background about himself. And I was like, well, Jeff, what what one piece of advice could you give to me as, as a young? At this point, I'm like 22, 23 years old. And I said, you know, what what point? What what piece of advice could you give me? And he's like, you know, Ray, I'm going to give you the title of this book, and go get this book and read this book. And when you get through reading this book, call me and we'll have another lunch. Now, get a load of this. So this became one of my favorite authors, and I'll give Robin Sharma a, a plug anytime. So the book was called Mega Living, M-E-G-A Living. Robin Sharma, he's out of Toronto. He's um, <clears throat> a former attorney. Um, he wrote a book about mega living. Now, here's the different thing about this book. You get three chapters into the book, and it says put it down and write your goals. Mm. So you put the book down, you write your goals. It could take you a week to write your goals. Then you read another chapter, and it's like, you know, write down the things that you can't live without, things that right. gratitude about, things right. that you, you know, you're, you know, you're very fortunate about. Then it gets to like the fifth chapter, and said, okay, go read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. That's six hundred and forty pages. So, it took me six months to read that book. No way. Yeah, this is what was. Yeah. No, how come I haven't heard about no, this? No, it's a great book. So I read, you know, read that, and then I went to chapter five, chapter okay. six, chapter seven. So it's like taking you like year, like a year more or oh, more yeah, to read this. At least. Yeah. No, let me get to this. So we get to chapter seven, and it's like, all right, in in order for you to go any further in this book, you have to read these ten books. Ten. It listed out ten books. What? Yeah. <laughs> this is it's a this is amazing insane. book. Um, one of the books was Siddhartha, and Siddhartha is is a story about a young man finding his character, finding his soul. And following his soul and following his character, mm. you know, I, I get chills thinking about that book to the day. The book is small; it's probably 120 pages. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing book, and it basically it teaches you the story, uh, like the the metaphor, like you know, the tiger and the snake crossing the, the river. The right. snake says, "Hey, you know, right. I need to ride on the back. You right. need to get across the river, or whatever." Right. And you know, the tiger's like, "No, you know, you'll bite me and kill me." Of course, the tiger does. He goes across, right. bites, and kills. You know, it teaches you some metaphors in life as a man, as in a character, to follow your character religiously and 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 uncomprehend. You know, don't compromise. You know. Well, yeah, you've been punctual this like on time, right? You know, and you know, other books in there was you know some Dale Carnegie stuff, yeah. some Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill is absolutely. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, just yeah, Dale Carnegie, Napoleon I, Hill. You know, yeah. and, and honestly, Frank, kind of what you are putting together, you're your own miniature Napoleon Hill, because you know you're you're getting to interview some some yeah. you know some successful people or, or people who've made some statements in life and, and made some positions in life. You're getting that knowledge, and that's exactly. I'm what telling you, Napoleon like I've been picking up little things that are like helping me like tremendously. Yeah. So Napoleon Hill, yeah. that's what made him, is Dale Carnegie hired him to go and find out, hey, what makes people successful? And Napoleon Hill's books are just unbelievable. Um, and then then it led me to uh, an author by the name of Brian Tracy. I know Brian, yeah. And uh, it led me to an author by the name of Zig Ziglar. Love Zig. So yeah. it turned out that I was able, in a position in life with enough connections, I went and had dinner with Brian Tracy. Wow. And then it turned out that one of my guys went to work for Zig Ziglar, and I went and had dinner with Zig Ziglar. Yeah. And 
so basically, by the time I finished the book, and I won't spoil the book, but as you get towards the end of it, it it's, it's so you, the book itself grew your network. Like the book book itself took me a year and a half. Okay, no, a no year shit. and a half. A year and a half. But you finished it. I f- absolutely. Okay, absolutely. You and know? then, and you know, and the end of the book is amazing because it teaches you focus and in meditation, and the way it does that is absolutely. Are you a spiritual person too? Do you feel like you? I believe in God, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm not as religious as a, a, I probably should be, and uh, thank you, grandmother. But uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Anyways, uh, the book is absolutely amazing. Yeah. I recommend that to anyone. Mega living. It, they want. It, it's more. It, it's it's for it's a, it's a male a game, audience. The game changer. It's a life changer. Yeah, it is. Say. You know, it, yeah. it, it'll come in and, and just really punch you in the gut and say, hey, you need to man up, and this is how to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, awesome book. So Not good for females? No? It's a little brutal. Yeah, it's a brutal. It's a brutal. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's it's all, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it for the females. I, well, I mean, I'm not a sexist guy, but it is it is all about, you know, the... It's just not like the style that a female would want it in. No. Yeah. It's just, it's just too, too brutal. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like brutal. Gory. It's in your face. Do yeah. this or or this is going to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, Are you a fan of Grant Cardone, by the, by the way? Do you, like, you, you know who Grant Cardone is? Uh, you like Zig Ziglar? Zig yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the speaker guy, right? The sales guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's kind of got it like, he's very polarizing. You could either hate him or love him. Um, well, that's like the Tony Robbins. No, Tony Robbins, I think, is more like he's mellow. You know, Grant Cardone's a little oh, bit, oh, yeah. he's a little extra, like the less brown guy. <sighs> Just you know. No, no, you. Got, I don't think you've listened to Grant yeah, Cardone. Maybe not. Maybe he'll, not. He'll, he'll, he's, he's kind of vulgar. He's oh. kind of a vulgar guy. You know, so some people love him or or hate him. Like he'll be like, you know, show me the money. Like he'll just, he's just that type of guy. And it's like his surface level personality is like sometimes off putting, especially to females. Um, but then you dig a little deeper, and you you know he has he's he's not a bad guy, you know, but he has a huge following. I mean, he's a very polarizing guy. He's kind of like you know Donald Trump, very polarizing guy. But you either love him or you hate him, you know. Big, big ego. Yeah. But anyways, um, so okay, so you were, so you were sitting with you know Brian Tracy and all these guys, these heavy hitters you know, well-known sales experts. And, and so what did you get from that? You know, Brian Tracy, his material is, he's probably one of just the pure, you know, one of the best sales guys out there. I mean, his right. sales tactics are all about the ABCs and the one, two, threes, cover the basics, you know, put everything together so that the customer can't say no. So if you've done everything possible to cater to that customer where you make it very convenient for them to say yes, they just can't say no, or make sure that your proposal's so well put together that they don't have any questions. Hmm. Or so, objections. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a great sales guy. And you know, he's he he lives down in Solana Beach now and you know. Awesome. Yeah, pretty cool dude. Is he in your Rolodex? Uh, you know, I've I've got some I've got some framed autograph stuff from him. Um could you call him like No, any? no, I've lost I've lost touch with him, unfortunately, like that. Start, start a podcast. Yeah, I'd love to. My Rolodex is like gone. Yeah. It's it's expanded. Um I've done like uh, man. I plan on I'm I'm doing the best I can to to make this podcast successful. Maybe you have some tips for me or something, but I've done like probably around 
40 something podcasts in like since the beginning of January. Um, cause I'm, I'm, I'm like that extreme guy, but I think I have the problem of like running through walls and I'll take a step back to breathe. Cause I'm like, I'm just always hustling. I'm hustling, hustling, hustling. I don't breathe. And so I think like maybe I need to take a page from your book and be like, okay, let me be a little bit more methodical, uh, take a step back sometimes, you know? Um, and, uh, but so you didn't go too much into the turmoil that you went through. You, you lost your house in Florida in 2008, right? Uh, you know, I mean, financially it was a short sell. So that, that, you know, it was, it hit my credit, you know, for probably five years. That was, that was a real pain in the ass. <laughs> lost, uh, about a, right at 200 grand. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, that was, I mean, it's a psych bat, you know, because I was, you know, it was a, uh, you know, I had a, you know, I lost, you know, at, at that period of time with the whole Orlando, you know, shit storm, you know, I lost my mother, I lost my father and I got <laughs> divorced and then the recession hit, you know, so it was, was that all in the same year. Well, I mean, it all rolled up and, you know, 2008 just, it's just like when you're grieving for one thing, another thing happens. You haven't finished grieving for the last thing. Yeah, and it just it, it rolls Shit. up into this just this big. Did you ever not have a home to live in at one point, or like, <laughs> I feel like, well, that was a tough situation. You know, it seems I lived like. in my U-Haul from Florida to California. <laughs> okay, no, thank you for admitting that. Because thank you for admitting that. Because a lot of people, that's great. So a lot of people, I think that's inspirational to share those t- type of stories. Like I, I went through a. a personal thing myself and I shared it at the conference and I had my friend, you know, myself, my wife now, she was like for a year, she's trying to convince me, you need to share your story. You need to share your story. You need to share your story. And finally I shared my story at a conference and I was like bawling. I was just like crying my eyes out. And like, I had three people walk up to me and they were crying too, wow. like afterwards. And they're, and they're like, and I was like, wow, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's something like if I can impact somebody in that way, you know, maybe there's something, maybe I should share it more often, you know? Yeah. And so I'm more comfortable, even though it's really uncomfortable still to this day. I'm like, I'm very introverted, you know? Uh, I feel like I know it's, it seems like I can bring the extrovert out, but like I'm very introverted and it's very hard for, for but, and I know it's, I can sense it's hard for you too. It's, it's a little hard for you to share, you know, your stories, but just know that there's, there's somebody listening that's like, shit, I'm going through that right now. And if he got to that level, then maybe I can too, you know? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to share the stories because you're like, you know, I'm, I'm still learning and I still want to, you know, keep going and stuff like that. But no, I know it's important and I, you know, I have to get more comfortable with it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know, when you talk about loss and stuff like that, I mean, you know, when I lost my mother and my father and I was the only child of my mother and father, so it was, you know, almost lost my way. You mm-hmm. know? So when I moved out to California, uh, you know, there was, you know, there was, you know, I just sunk myself in the work and right. there were some, there were some dark days, you know, and it was just right. like, wh- what am I doing this for? You know, I have no family. I have, I, you know, I moved to California and you three people. Yeah. You know, you're engaged now. Well, yeah. Well, there, there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, and, and that's we're gonna, the thing. That's the third podcast. Well, that's or the, the thing. Or first time you came, we didn't do a podcast, but third podcast will... We'll do a relationship talk. Right. Maybe. And that's the thing. I mean, yeah. I traded having a family and yeah. being in love and, and exploring that side of life to build businesses. And, you know, I mean, you're like, yeah, I built a billion dollar business and took a couple of them public. That's all great financially and success and stuff like that. But then there's the other side of life that if you don't explore, you know, I mean, 
you know, I'm sitting here at 46 years old, no children, and, you know, just now engaged. So it, yeah, much older of, than I am. There's a lot of trade offs, yeah. you know. So, well, I have, I have a wife and, and baby on the way in April. Uh, when are you guys getting married? Uh, next year, we're, 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 we, we lost our date this year to our cousin because they're playing this, this, <laughs> this, this game because we, we got engaged like a month. Uh, we, we got engaged a month after her sister got married. Right. And a month before her cousin got engaged. Right. So within her family, we got to organize and come up with a date that we all, all agree on. Dude, at least your family's like normal enough to like communicate with each other that there's like, we can't overlap. My family is another situation. <laughs> I had a family that's, uh, so I don't even want to say this almost, but like I had a family member that scheduled on the same day after another family member scheduled on the same day. A wedding? Yeah. <laughs> what? Right. <clears throat> so I don't want to like call out names, but it's kind of messed up, right? Like to, you, you have to now split up the family. You can't do that. You know, I mean, that's just, that's disrespectful, you know, at a minimum, you know? Yeah. That's uncouth, you know? Jeez. Yeah. So uh, I could tell you some stories, so. <laughs> um, all right. So, dude, this is awesome. Um, you, you only have a little bit of time here, but like to, what advice do you want to impart on listeners here? Like, is it possible? Is it possible for anyone to achieve a level of success that they never thought was? I mean, you, you know, you, you in high school, you won best place or the most likely to succeed, right? I feel like maybe 1% of those guys that get voted that way actually succeed, right? Um, and I think a lot of those guys actually become cocky and not not humble. And I, I sense like from meeting you, you're, your guy's been through a lot, you know, you're, you have humility there and you actually care, you know, that's what I sense. Um, yeah, and, for sure. and, and not, not everybody's like that. There's some guys that are just like, they've achieved a level of success and they're just kind of douchey. Right. <laughs> like, right. I, I was that guy in my late twenties. <laughs> you were that guy in your late twenties. Okay. I, I got, I got humbled. I got, I got humbled as well. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a period of time, but anyways. So, what, what's some advice you can impart on, on people that that want to achieve um, this kind of success? First, what I learned, I'll just tell you what I've uh, took from it. Trends, follow trends. Um, be very strategic about channel partnerships. Follow trends. Be very strategic about channel partnerships and try to coordinate it so that you gain the channel partnership around a trend. I think that was huge, right? That was huge learning, all right? Um, another thing is always just focus on results because results is what attracts people. People are not attracted to anything other than results. You could be the nicest person in the world, right? Um, but results is what, they, what they're looking for. It's the bottom line. Okay, so what else, what else do you want to impart on the audience? Well, <clears throat> you know, overall, fundamentally, it's, it's, it's just simple. You know, you know, you, you can't make life so complex and think that success is so complex. You also look at it like your health. You're either going to pay the price to be healthy right. or you're going to pay the price to be unhealthy. And that doesn't matter what you eat or your exercise. It's just in general. Right. Okay? It's a general philosophy. So just make it simple. And one of the ways that I've 
just stuck by is, you know, I'm, I'm 46. I got into the wireless industry at 21. I literally have done a couple of, you know, side options, but I've always kept my base because if you keep chasing this or chasing that or, or, or you know, do it across the map, you get too spread thin. And all of us just have a certain amount of time while we're here and a certain right. amount of time while we're awake. So if you focus on something that, that when you wake up in the morning, you're like, damn, I can't wait to go do this. Or right. I'm, I'm, you've got to have the eye of the tiger, whatever it is it's you're doing to drive you. And if you have that, you're going to make a difference. And if you stick to your principles and you have a goal and a plan, just keep pushing because you're going to find failure. If you don't find failure, you're not, you're just not working hard enough. Because you know, I've I've faced failures. I've lost customers. I've had my lights turned out. I've had you know, I've had those things happen. So you know, if you're not doing those things, you haven't made enough risk, or you haven't taken enough chances, or you haven't tried to go get the big customer and have it taken away from you or something. So that's one piece is just, you know, hey, f- just just focus and stay, you know, stay doing what you love to do, okay? It will grow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's, you know, that's, that's something that I, I live by, you know, pretty much. And, you know, another is be very careful no matter what, what the communication is, okay? If it is face-to-face, if it's in an interview, if it's a customer or a vendor, whatever it is, listen to what they're saying, but listen to what they're not saying. Because what they're not saying, the devil is hidden in the details. Right. And sometimes when the stuff that they're not saying, it, it trips you up later on. Like if you're buying a car, you're buying a new refrigerator. Oh, man. We, we need to do another podcast on that. <laughs> it's cause... about the stuff they're not saying, you know? So that's how I exploited my competition as I figured out what they're not saying to the customers. Okay. I want to get into that, but we'll have to schedule another time, maybe on the relationship podcast. Um, we'll do that. But uh, all right, man. So uh, if somebody's listening, executives listening. Um, so now what you're doing, just really quick, now what you're doing is you're at ATEL, right? ATEL, yes. A-T-E-L. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're a manufacturer of, wireless products. So you're talking 5G phones, routers, wi I need to introduce you to John, by the way. Yeah. Um, he, okay. So what he does and he's super successful like you, he's a guy that's like, he's like kind of partner of mine, mentor of mine. What he does is he gets these cell phones, um, sold at like major department stores. Um, yeah, that's, that's my kind of people. What's his last name? Uh, Sebastian. John I can Sebastian. introduce him. I can introduce you to him. What company? Uh, it's his, his company is called Phoenix Consulting, and so what he does is he'll get he'll make a nego- he'll negotiate with like Verizon and Walmart. Yeah. And then get hire a big sales staff, put the sales staff in Walmart, and then he'll. That is, he'll that's absolutely my 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 realm. So so yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Yeah, you love business him. there. You love him. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there is some business there. Um, so how do people get a hold of you? Are you open to mentorship? Uh, are you open to that? Like, if somebody reaches out and they're like, "Hey, man," like, anytime, you know, anytime. I, I'm I'm currently being mentored. I have a CEO coach, uh, Mr. Chris Larkins. He is he is amazing. Uh, so I feel like I'm still in. I'm definitely not in an incubation stage, but I am in that polishing stage to where, right. 
you know, I've got the, you know, the, the accreditation and the, and the validation and the pedigree to, to, to be, you know, a, a good all around mentor. Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. So how do they, how does somebody who's listening to this get a hold of you if they want to reach out? Um, if you don't want to give that information, no, no, no. So, uh, you know, Instagram is, is, is always cool. Um, but uh, it's on it, LinkedIn. It's it's Rayford Higginbotham. So, R A Y F O R D Higginbotham. You know what I'm like? This is like a kind of like a um, sticking point, I think, in a negative way. Is that there's a lot of people out there that aren't really doing the they're they're not really progressing along the entrepreneurial journey, but they have a big social media following. Don't you think that people like you who actually can impart wisdom on people should have that type of social media polling as opposed to like somebody that really doesn't have that wisdom and is like this popular dude that everybody's listening to? That That's definitely a loaded question. Um, <clears throat> so my, so in LinkedIn, I've, I've got a, a following around, uh, around 8,000. Okay. Um, Instagram, I've got a following, uh, around 11,000. Um, you know, obviously nothing, nothing huge, but that just shows you a balanced, uh, yeah. character. Yeah. And, you know, my Instagram is all about my, my Instagram handle is into living the dream in is a Nancy, the number two living the dream. And my page is about living the dream, regardless right. if it's business or work or family or, or now, you know, my love and stuff like that. And then my LinkedIn is all professional. And it's almost balanced 50 50, right. uh, meaning as far as a fan base. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, man, we need pe- more people like you that are they're going out there. Cause I see people on like on these platforms and I'm like, dude, like I consider myself, you know, I'm not at your level, but I consider myself a guy that grinds and, and actually does business. And, you know, and I see people and I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> like, I'm not even that like <laughs> big, you know, like, and, yeah. Like, I feel like there needs to be somebody that just goes, no, this is like, this is the real truth. And so, and, and people will be like, yeah, that's actually true. You know, um, you know, people that are actually doing stuff, you know? Yeah. So, and, and that's, you know, w- one of the things I've, I have tried to do on my social media is get into some of the motivational stuff and really, you know, I am, I, I mean, I've got a huge Rolodex. I personally know over 10,000 people. And I'm one of the most just diverse guys out there. I'm like, you know, one day I could be, you know, you know, in the put de- you in the middle of the desert, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the next day I'm at billionaires in China, and then the next day I'm at, you know, I'm yeah. in the I'm in the Chase private client, you yeah. know, building here with you know the, the leaders of the bank and stuff like that. The next day I'm at a museum in San Diego. I mean, so I'm very diverse, and I don't like to follow people that just like harp on look at me look at me look at me it's not about look at me it's look about what we can do you know right and so my thing has always been about motivating saying okay hey if i can do this you can do it and it's not just about and you believe that 100 percent, absolutely if you can do it most people can right and it's not about you know hey i've got a ferrari or hey i do this vacation or whatever it's about the fact that i'll go sleep in the tent in the desert and have just as much fun as driving my ferrari Hell yeah. You know, I love so, that. You know, it's just, that's the way I live my life. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And, and that is, you know, we'll get into this on the next podcast with, with uh, my fiance, but 
you know, I put her through a, let's say a qualification process and it was a, I have to hear about this. Yeah, it was a week long camping trip. We, we drove from uh, Huntington Beach, California to Zion in yeah. Utah, then over to Yellowstone in Montana, then to Lake Tahoe and then all the way back. Eight days we lived out of a van and tent camping. Wow. So that must she have been passed. A culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> she passed and we, we, we got engaged like two months after that. So, wow. And, and for me, that is, stories. you know, that's why I work hard is so I can go out and live and see those things. When are we going to have a baby? When is that coming? <laughs> oh, well, we're just, we're just now starting to understand how to practice. So. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, I, I've been known to ask personal questions. So, sorry about that. But, like, okay, we'll talk about that on the relationship uh, podcast. Um, I keep saying that it's going to be on the same podcast, but like, yeah. um, so, all right, cool. We'll talk soon. Thank you guys for listening in. Thank I really you so appreciate much, it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely.